やめてたまるかお前と俺は触れたからさ一生かけたいつとの絆心配するな泣いてだけの最高Welcome to a brand new episode of Dr. Keith Presents. This is the episode that for the last two shows I've said I'm really, really looking forward to. And it's finally here. This is a show that I've wanted to do for a long time. This is 
the Quebecers retrospective. And I'm so excited because we've done these tag team shows before on this show and on Joe versus the world. And uh, I think on Dr. Keith before I was on Dr. Keith, but I can't remember, but um, they're always really popular and they're always really good. And this is one with a tag team that's close, really close to my heart um, because like power and glory were great and all that, but they, uh, and I really liked them when I went back and watched all the stuff that was pimped, but they weren't, a team that I was um, had close to my heart before the show, after the show, and will certainly do. But the Quebecers, they're one that Alan is a Alan is a ten year old, or sorry, Alan is an eight year old. Actually, I should say was uh, oh, I hated them so much, and I hated them so much that eventually I I came to love them. And um, when I go back and watch my Quebecers stuff nowadays, it is it is with a very fond heart. And um, I know that Joe Gagne and Justin Shapiro feel much the same way. Boys, how are you doing? Do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do
someone tries to steal something from uh, the lead character and they reform them and team up with them. Perfect. Uh, we'll we'll go with, we'll go with that then. But um, Jock was Jock was living quite the life as a part of the Rougeau wrestling family, which was a very big, huge deal in Montreal, Quebec. Um, they Jock and uh, his brother Raymond, with a fine mustache, um, went to WWF and formed a tag team of uh, real nice boys called uh, what was their name again? The uh, Rougeau brothers, I believe. Yeah, oh, that was just that. And, uh, and it wasn't the fabulous Rougeaus until they they turned heel and became kind of patronizing American loving dudes with Jimmy Hart as their manager. And um, what were your guys' memories of the the fabulous Rougeaus and before that uh, the Rougeau brothers? Uh, just well, uh, or Joe? To to- not to uh, pull a Todd Martin, but I put them in my second tier of. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> They were uh, they were a good tag team. I don't think they were at the level of say the Bulldogs or the Hearts or the Rockers, but um, they were in that good mid level. I, I didn't like them as a kid. I thought they were um, kind of uh, wimps. Wimpy, yeah. I was gonna say wimpies, but that would not be appropriate. They, yeah, they were wimps. They were two nice guys. They were Canadian. It, um, uh, the heel turn was very needed for them when they did become uh, all American boys, as their uh, theme song went, beginning a tradition of uh, Jacques singing his own theme. Um, <laughs> Yeah, perfectly acceptable tag team. Lots of good matches from them, but uh, never, uh, never one of my faves. I I think uh, that I most remember them for getting uh, frequently bitten in the ass by the bushwhackers, <laughs> like multiple times. <laughs> that uh, if I I, I um, didn't start watching until 1991, uh, uh-huh. but so I I would catch up on things on tape my local rentery and so Royal Rumble 90 there's the Bushwhackers biting the Rujos in the ass and I'm, like every super tape or hottest matches had a hot match or a super taped match with the, the Bushwhackers biting Jacques or Raymond on the ass if you remember the uh, the Greatest Families DVD that featured a Bushwhackers uh, Rujo Brothers match which I imagine featured uh, biting on the ass <laughs> it, it carried over to the uh, DVD format Excellent. But no, they were jerks. They deserve all that. <laughs> they cheated. They were just uh, just genuine I people think who didn't of, know how to play by the rules. One of the things they became most known for during that run was the, the stories of their altercation with the Dynamite Kid and the, the British Bulldogs. And everyone's heard the story about the, the coins in the fist and knocking... Dynamite Kids teeth out and all this stuff and um, yeah that was it's it's it says kind of probably a lot about their impact as far as in ring and on on screen when that's that's the thing that I think is taught about most when people think about their run uh, yeah I'm in ring it would be the the marathon matches they had with the Rockers right oh those matches there was a match they had in, I think it was in England uh, or maybe France actually that was um that was really really good mm hmm. That's the case with a lot of the 80s stuff is um, if you want to find somebody's signature matches, they're usually not on the pay-per-views, so you have to take an extra step to find it, which I, I have not done in the case of the Rockers versus the Rougeos. Yeah, sorry, as I'm eating a banana here, which I'm sure everyone is really enjoying, um, hmm. uh, they, uh, they had a match, I think, in France that was like really just comedy gaga based and it was it was so so good like even even in, with it was one of the it was one of the best kind of just heel jerky heels get their comeuppance in comedic fashion <laughs> matches i've ever seen 
the angriest I've ever been, uh, I think, watching wrestling um, as a child was there was a some compilation tape rentable thing. It had the Rujos versus the um, Heart Foundation. I may have been a special fan request put in by <laughs> post. Um, but I don't know why the fans would request Brother Love as the special guest referee. Joe, do you happen to remember a match with Brother Love refereeing the Rujos versus the Heart Foundation? No, I just remember those fan request tapes where someone's like, <laughs> I want to see the Brooklyn Brawler versus Coco Beware, and nothing remotely creative or interesting, but I'm not surprised. <laughs> they uh, speak for all of us when they send those in. Anyway. <laughs> Um, well, Can I see Hogan Warrior too? Nope. I, I said, I, I'm going to get to the bottom of this. I'm going to take this straight to the top of the towers and get this match made, but it never worked. But Heart so, Foundation versus Rujos with Brother Love as a guest referee was so unfair that um, Heart Foundation hit the heart attack on a Rujo, and Brother Love gets down slowly and counts one, two, and then he crawls <laughs> into the camera and says... I love you. Oh, <laughs> oh God. That... And during the ensuing controversy, Bret Hart got rolled up and beaten. I was outraged. Poor Bret. Yeah, refs. Yeah, yeah. Um, Why didn't he just disqualify the hearts for punching or something earlier? <laughs> no, no don't, don't start me off on heel refs, Joe Guyney. You, you know where that will go. Um, but uh, anyway... Um, so the Rougeaus, the Fabulous Rougeaus went the way of the Dodo. and um, that I have to mention, um, oh, go I ahead. listened to Jacques shoot, and the reason they quit is, uh, I think Raymond quit because he was mad the Brain Busters got, uh, they were passed over for, in favor of the Brain Busters for the tag titles. Like, can you imagine someone quitting today because they didn't win the tag titles? <laughs> <laughs> what a, a curious concept that would be. But yeah, that Prime was... Prime uh, time has had it up to here with being overlooked. <laughs> They did. They never got that title shot that they won on pay per view. That oh, is, man. That is some That's bull- the real crime. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> where are we? I just was thinking there that they were fired, but then they, they, they weren't fired. Where are her crimes? <laughs> no. Seen them in years. You know what, though? They we did that. Up- um, oh, go ahead. go ahead. They had a strap well, match, I remember, after they broke up. And then Chad, Chad was going to get the, the big push, and they were like, you know what? Hang on, you've actually regressed so much that you need to go back to developmental. But okay, so when we did the um, the draft show and talked about the, the Molina chat, oh, yeah. Chad Gaspard said, and I quote, "I can and one day will bury the Undertaker." <laughs> where Where is the Undertaker now? So. There the higher power of NXT. He is clear the, the greater purpose none of us can understand. <laughs> He's the GM. <laughs> oh and Otunga, Otunga knows. Yep, he absolutely does. Oh my god! Now you know everything will be changed now that we reveal this. This angle will sadly not take place. <laughs> uh, dying. <laughs> Well, um, so I've only heard, I guess, I think it was Jacques, yeah, it must have been, on Wrestling Observer Live, like at the beginning of the decade, tell the um, the Dynamite Kid fight story. And at least from his perspective, it was one of the like most inspiring small guy stands out to a bully stories I've ever heard. Yeah, from his perspective, <laughs> it's awesome. Mm-hmm. 
Um, just like, you know, enough wasn't the enough. And uh, <laughs> dad was dad. And uh, <laughs> he had to take the stand for himself. <laughs> he was thirsty afterwards. <laughs> Oh no, that's Alan. I'm sorry. Wrong accent. Uh, oh. <laughs> uh, oh. Okay, okay. And Alan says right. Chavo Guerrero. <laughs> all right. I, I, anyway, I, I know, I know, I know. Team 3D is one that I always is one that you you Yanks always rag on me about. <laughs> um, but uh, anyway, um, yeah. So as I mentioned like five minutes ago, the Quebecers, and I'm so glad you cut me off because the last five minutes have been awesome. But uh, the Quebecers went the way of the dodo and uh, or dog. Oh, fucking hell! <laughs> this is just throwing me off. I'm laughing too way too much. The we fabulous way ahead in this fabulous shows. Shows <laughs> went the way of the dodo, and um, uh, this is going to be a record for the amount of times the word dodo has been <laughs> said on the wrestling podcast. But um, yeah, so uh, then we what we got out of that was, as you mentioned, they left, but they came back, and Raymond came back as a professional, well dressed, well groomed, sharp looking TV personality that. I was a big fan of, but his brother Jock came back, not as Jock, but as the Mountie with Jimmy Hart by his side and explain the Mountie character to us, um, Justin. I guess uh, when they left um, WWF at the beginning of 1990, Ray went and got a communications degree and Jock went to Mountie training school. (laughs) That's what they do, right? He went to the Mountie Academy and learned how to mount. And, Maybe he uh, just watched a load of episodes of that show. Um, uh, what thinking was it of called? Due South, which thankfully came Juice, years later, Juice, under Juice the damage the Mountie perpetrated. Due South was a, a show that was, I think, like at a pretty good time slot over here. I remember getting a lot of advertisement and stuff. I, I don't know why in hindsight. But yeah, the Mountie... Oh. Proceed. I was just going to say, the character of the Mountie was always somewhat curious to me, because I, I guess the idea was like an evil foreign power, like, <laughs> but I don't think people really had bad thoughts about Mounties or Canada, like, if you had like an SS guy from Germany in the 50s, like, okay, great, but, like, it's Canada, like, who's upset about Canada? It, it, this, this really had this think of, like, Vince McMahon had a bad experience, like a Mountie <laughs> while they were in Canada, so he had to get his revenge. Actually, the Mounties had the last laugh because they were none too pleased about being portrayed as uh, maniacal power abusers. And they actually had to read a statement like, he's not an actual Mountie people. I, that's probably the, the defining... Uh, and it carries over into our Quebecers, too. I'm sure that's why they were called the Quebecers and not the Mounties. They were literally not the Mounties. <laughs> yeah. But, um, yeah, Mountie, uh, he would tell us that he always got his man. And, well, he also went into big, who is the superior and more trustworthy form of law enforcement feud with the big boss. Yep. And that resulted in one of the greatest heel performances of all time. At SummerSlam 1991 from MSG, it was the, um, what do we call it? The, the jailhouse match. Jailhouse match. And it was awesome. Bossman won. And the Mountie, we got several skits of him going to jail, getting his fingerprints done, getting cuffed, all this stuff. And he oh got fingered and cuffed, all right. 
You want the finger? Here's the finger. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it was it was just tremendous. You've never seen just a cowardly heel get his come up and so well, and really uh, <laughs> got raped. At the end. <laughs> yeah, because that, that's that's the the end game for what I want for every heel is to get their oh. come up and via rape. You got the shock stick. <laughs> We didn't say yes. His signature uh, <clears throat> object was an electric pl- prod that made electrocution noises every time he took it to someone. <laughs> Very loudly. Went <laughs> As Tito Santana gesticulated in pain. Now you did you did mention his theme music that he sang. He actually started with a strange French horn type theme. It sounded like a movie score, like like an opening view of the forest or something. Until they switched the more popular uh, him singing about getting his man. Yeah, how long did it take for the? It was, it was like well into the Bret Hart program when he got his music right. So. Okay. And if you watch WrestleMania Seven, you get the da, 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 score music. Yep. I have and to mention, um, perhaps magically. Uh, oh, sorry, go ahead, Joe. It's a Coliseum home video match of him against the boss man, but the gimmick was it was the manager's eye view, where the entire match uh, was the camera was over Jimmy Hart's shoulder on the outside, and the only commentary was his running commentary on the. Oh match. God! It was. I give them points for I guess creativity in presenting a match, but it was largely unwatchable and unlistenable. <laughs> and you mentioned the feud of Bret Hart. Now they had a match. It was at the Royal Rumble. Um, it was supposed to be. Let me get this right. At the Royal Rumble, they had the Mountie against Roddy Piper because Brett was the Intercontinental Champion. But like the week before, he lost the belt to the Mountie on a house show, and they explained in commentary during the Rumble that Brett had come down with a cold or a flu, and that's how the Mountie won that was able to win the title off him. But the Mountie lost it like immediately to Roddy Piper, which led to, of course, Piper Brett at WrestleMania. But um, yeah, so that was his like his big icy title reign, and wasn't really much of one. <laughs> they had a rematch. Well, I, oh, go ahead, Justin. No, no, you need to put it in the context first. All right, uh, just want to say they had a rematch <laughs> a, a few days later with one of my favorite finishes, where Piper, um, uh, the Mountie attacked Piper. Piper still had his shirt on. The Mountie tried a shock stick, but it didn't work. And Piper stole it from him, electrocuted him, pinned him. And revealed that he had like a wetsuit jacket on with shockproof written on it. So the Mounties' uh, nefarious tactics were uh, no match for him. Was that on Saturday Night's main event? I think so. Maybe in the last one, or one of the maybe the penultimate. No, the, the last the last one was the Shawn Michaels Bulldog one from like late. Oh, ni- that's right. That was like late ninety two. And this um, was a, yeah, this would have been the Hogan Sid turn match. Uh, yes. And the. Um, Undertaker face turn I think all happened on that Saturday night's main event in, in hindsight uh, I liked the Mountie but I'll, I'll say one thing that I really didn't like about the, the whole Mountie experience and that was his his figure that came out in um, in the WWE uh, collection um, or WWF collection it was fully decked out in like his entrance gear with the hat and the big coat and all that jazz and like me being a stickler for realism in my in my play wrestling, I just I was like I never put him in a match because like he's not in his wrestling gear. He never wrestled with the hat, the coat, and on the gloves. So why the like it was so annoying. And I much preferred like um who was it? I think it was Undertaker had a coat that you could take off, and oh it was so much better. 
And yeah, if if they had just given him a a coat and a hat that I could remove, then I would have I would have made great use out of my Manti figure. But it wasn't to be, and it was it was quite the waste of money in Heinz. I'm not sure why I bought it. Did I think that the the plastic coat would be removable? I don't know. I was pretty dumb. It's it's entirely possible. Um. So yeah, that kind of bummed me out. Uh, Justin, were you, was there something you were going to start saying there? I think I cut you off. Uh, I th- we're just going to give the usual story everyone talks about for Red Hart. Saying he lost the Intercontinental title because he was going to like jump to WCW and drop the belt in a trash can or something like that. But I think oh. that's one of those overblown internet things. I think it was more they just... Uh, I'm sure, I think the contract negotiations were going on at the same time. But as far as I know, they wanted to do Brett versus Piper at WrestleMania all along, and so they had to transition the belt somehow. Okay, so Mamty pretty much became a jobber at that point, and for a few months was just doing nothing but putting people over, and then uh, he eventually quit, and um, he... He was supposed to uh, get another shot at the Intercontinental title against um, British Bulldog at Survivor Series, and they were both gone before that show. Yep, yep, and uh, so he was gone, and he didn't come back until uh, mid... Does anyone actually know bef- what, if anything he was doing? I assume he was like working like shows in Montreal and stuff, but um, anyone know any specific things about him kind of in that time period between the Mountie and when he came back to the BF with Pierre? I think he'll yeah, probably end up in Puerto the- Rico at some point. <laughs> yep. Um, so yeah. oh, I have uh, one more Mountie bit. Sorry. Uh, sure, go for it. Uh, there was a, a famous, by the standards of the time, uh, occurrence that I learned about in the magazine Pro Wrestling Illustrated uh, when Brett and the Mountie were feuding. And uh, Bret Hart, being an excellence of execution, managed to defeat the Mountie in a record setting three seconds. Yeah, that was. Uh, I think that was his last match. Really? Okay, good. Yeah. I think he quit after that, and I'm not sure if he quit because of that or if he quit and that was his like send off. But um, yeah, that was uh, just, when it happened. It was the buzz of my entire third grade classroom. <laughs> I or wait, fourth, fifth, fifth grade classroom, and uh, it was just like, who could beat a man in three mi- seconds? You know, only a man as good as Bret Hart. This record will stand forever. We were very excited. <laughs> okay, this is a completely off-topic tangent, but what's your favorite? Um, primary school or as you guys say elementary school um, uh, classroom buzz wrestling moment I think the biggest for me was um, uh, when Nails and Undertaker uh, met face to face in the ring on just randomly Nails was staying in the ring and Undertaker was coming in for his, his match next and then uh, Nails wouldn't get out of the ring and they had to stare down and holy fuck everyone was talking about it in school mm. all week <laughs> Uh, for, uh, me, for me, for us, <laughs> we have the same answer. <laughs> I don't know. Nothing, not, nothing was bigger than the Ultimate Warrior coming back at WrestleMania 8. Uh, for me, probably just when uh, Andre beat Hogan for the belt. That mm. was a, uh, old, a lot of, of water cooler talk. Oh, so. <laughs> I'm sorry. How dare you. you. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> When that happened, it was the buzz of my um, my two year old uh, whatever play two- pen 
Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, so so anyway, neither you nor your stuffed animals could believe it. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> Even today. Then, then we had the meeting in Puerto Rico of Jacques and Pierre, and um, yeah, it was Pierre was apparently like he he was really young. I remember around this time, and I mean he had just been wrestling for a couple of years, and. Um, I guess he was on the same tour of Puerto Rico as Jacques, and Jacques took a fancy to this fellow, fellow French Canadian. And um, I don't know, did he? I don't. I, I'd love to know what the story is here. I was looking for, up trying to find st- stuff about. It. I don't know if like they he found Pierre and then he went to Vince and was like, "Bring me back now! I've got a Titan. <laughs> be awesome." And Vince was like, "Ah, oh, yeah, why not? With two men, he's better than one, but we can't have men." Because they're really pissed off about that, so you're gonna have to not be the Mounties. And um, literally, I, I really didn't know what the story was, but anyway, whatever it was, Jock ended up back in WWF with a partner. Actually, I think he might have come back on his own first, and he might have had like a a few a few singles matches. Just as I, I, I'm not sure, I need to find this out. But um, uh, very soon it was Jock and Pierre, and they were the Quebecers. And they were, everyone was, I, I remember just being really confused about why their music was, were not the Mounties, yet they were <laughs> clearly dressed as Mounties. Um, <laughs> it's, because they embodied everything you associate with Mounties, the handsomeness, the bravery, the strength. However, unlike the Mounties, they always get their man. Yeah, it was, I guess to to babyface Mounties in the same breath, and we're like, "Don't worry, Mounties, we know you're not as despicable as the likes of these men." Yep, that's that's, that's true. And um, they they started their tag team WWF career by having awesome squash matches on like Challenge and Superstars, and um, I've watched a few of these. Every squash match was like the same thing. They have. They'd break out the the back Jock backdropping Pierre into Pierre doing like a senton. Um, they had uh, the Boston Crab, so the Alabama Slam into a Boston Crab into a leg drop, which was just cool as shit. They had the um, Doomsday like crotch gimmick, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, or, which was like kind of would sounds like a stupid move, but it lo- was always looked quite brutal. And um, then, of course, the, f- the finish, which in the jobber match that Joe thankfully linked me to against Dan Dubiel and I think Steve Dupre, where one of them got absolutely crushed by the... Um, oh, I'm trying to be really cool and thinking what Brother Yashi and Shuji Kondo call this move, um, but I can't. Uh, it's the, um, the deal where... Pierre goes on top rope and Jacques holds his hands and flips him over into a huge big senton. They had a lot of senton-based moves using Pierre's uh, <laughs> Pierre's ample, ample midsection, which I appreciate. And um, it, this move was just crushing because they got some serious height and velocity on this thing. And um, yeah, it, it was cool. And all those squash matches where they just destroy jobbers with all those series of moves were just the best. Justin and I had a bet on when you would bring up a Japanese wrestler in a context. I had 15 minutes, Justin had 20, so went a lot longer than we thought. So uh, I, 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 I was trying. It's because of this damn drive, Joe. There's mm. no pro surfacing, so like I've forgotten it exists. Uh, 
But anyway, um, but uh, and, you, you do speak the truth. They just had like they were like borderline the eliminators of their day with all their wacky double teams. Yeah, yeah, they were just killing dudes. Like, and these were the days when jobbers. You could tell like who the jobbers were because they were undersized and um, clearly uh, not to the standards of their their foes. And yeah. They, like that, that I guess the Tower of Quebec—they called it the assisted senton off the top. Yeah, they, they, that was like Yokozuna level crushing dude. Massive <laughs> girth. Maybe that's why they immediately began a rivalry with the Steiner brothers because the Steiners were like, "Hey, nobody abuses the body of <laughs> but you know what? You know what? Like us. It wasn't just those two teams. It was like the staple of the Titans were in because the heavenly bodies were like all about the just cool double teams killing jobbers as well when they showed up. Head shrinkers certainly did. Head well. shrinkers? Yeah. I love oh God, I love that tag team division. But um um I want to give you guys a little insight as to where where um, all this double teaming and stuff and how it how, how they came up with it. And um, I was going to mention later, I have a WWF magazine from uh, June 1994, so a little ahead of where we are at the moment, about one year ahead. But um, there's an interview with the Quebecers in there, and um, it's mainly centered around the feud of the head shrinkers, which we'll talk about later, and I'll, I'll probably go back to the interview for that. But... Um, there are some awesome pictures of this interview, I guess, took place in their locker room. And um, Pierre is wearing a, a, a beautiful uh, blue polo shirt, looking at, looking very happy with himself in all the pictures. And the exact same expression on his face in every picture. And Jacques is wearing the most fantastic knit sweater I've ever seen in my life. And he just... Uh, he looks like he is having just a great time. And they are standing in front of a blackboard. And on this blackboard is a picture of a professional wrestling ring with drawn-in stick figures. Um, and one stick figure has a particularly ample-sized uh, body. Um, I assume that's Pierre. And um, there's a whole lot of French, French writing and arrows, and X's and O's. This is like their tactics board. But amongst all the French, there's one word in English sticking out, like, uh, sticking out amongst everything. Um, big capital letters, exclamation point, and it simply says, coordination. <laughs> and that's, that's, that tells you all you need to know about, about the Quebecers. And, um, uh, yeah... I, I think I may scan these and make them my SIG because these are awesome pictures. Did Jonathan Polo have any input into the team strategy? He's in not, article? not involved in it at all. He may have. Well, he was their manager up until the end, so actually, I wonder if I read through it again, that they might actually mention why why he's not why he's not there. But um, he was on assignment with Adam Bomb, probably. <laughs> he has other charges to tend to. Yep. Now, is this an interview, like, you know, say, like, the speaker would say something and then shock? Because it's sad we couldn't recreate that in um, audio form. Yeah, it Justin was... it was the form of the Quebecers. It, All right, Mary, you know, the coordination. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, George St. Pierre. Um, it, was, it was mainly Jock, but uh, Pierre would chime in every now and then just saying qui or que or coi. There was, like, different spellings of it, and... Um, uh, other that's in French. What, when, when? 
Oh, okay. And there's uh, and other things he said in French, and um, uh, yeah, he seems to be angry with a few of his French comments. But um, it was mainly Jock, uh, Jock doing the talking. Oh, I'll, I'll, I'll call it some of it here. I was going to wait because it's mainly head shrinker centric. But um, <laughs> it's, it starts off the editor say, "Seem like you're having a pretty heavy strategy session, Jock. Who invited you here? Do you make a career out of crashing parties?" <laughs> This editor out of crashing parties. <laughs> this doesn't seem to us like much of a party. It seems like more of a wake. Why all this new concentration on strategy? Are the Quebecers becoming insecure? Jock. Oh, I see that he think you're a psychologist too. I didn't know that you had so many talents. Maybe after this we can hire you as a shoe shine boy. So I'm already thinking this is clearly written by fucking Vince Russo. Questions and answers. Um, Eugene Fredo, or whoever that guy brought back and put in the chicken wing was. <laughs> yep. <laughs> um, uh, uh, Pierre starts his kind of French talking occasion here. Let's see, some other things. Um, uh, oh, oh, this must be Russo, because uh, Jock says, Don't be so funny, you little American, or I'll slap the beard off your face. And he means it, too. Um, and then the editors say, forget about my beard. What about Moe's mustache at WrestleMania 10? Men on a mix of members in brackets for some reason. Oh, Moe and Mabel really made fools of you guys from the whole world. Jock, that's a complete misconception. <laughs> it's all part of a media conspiracy. Media is the United States protects its own. They only want to see Americans on top. Every time a Canadian does something good, they put them down. Editors, Brett the Hitman Hart. Is Canadian? How come he doesn't believe that? Brett Hitman Hart's too stupid to figure it out. I don't think he likes him so much. He's a Canadian they can push around. He doesn't have the same pride in himself as the Quebecers. Um, okay, anything else? Uh, how about your manager, Johnny Polo? He's been spending um, so much time in his announcing job lady that you guys must feel neglected these days. I guess that's why he wasn't there. Uh, Jocks, what did I tell you about acting like a psychologist? If that's what you really want to do, why don't you go into stands and try to analyze those idiot fans? Ask them oh. who dropped them Oh god. Ask them who dropped them in a bathtub when they were babies. <laughs> That's why they don't automatically salute us every time we leave the dressing room. Now don't interrupt me. I'm not finished. How about those Montreal Canadiens? Editors, well they're a good hockey team. I told you not to interrupt me. Last but not least, how about those Quebecers? Then Pierre <laughs> Talking, Jock says, that's right, it hasn't been a good year for you Americans, has it? And, okay, here's the, the money at the end. Editors, maybe not, but it might turn out to be the greatest year ever if, for a certain tag team from Samoa. Pierre <laughs> says, Kui? Jock says, and maybe it will stop raining in Seattle, USA. Doubtful. Editors, editors <laughs> note at the end. Even though we had more questions for Jock and Pierre, they threw us out of the locker room as my four horsemen ringtone goes off. I'll ring you guys. Or, no, I'm sorry, what am I saying? I'll ring that guy back in a second. Keep talking to you guys. And I'll edit all of it. <laughs> Editor's note Even though we had more questions for Jock and Pierre, they threw us out of the locker room. It appeared that their heads were beginning to shrink due to our provocative requirements. Oh, I feel like Luigi and Fredo already knew that the Quebec, uh, Shrinkers were about to get the belts, and he wanted to look cool. Oh, God, that interview was amazing. <laughs> so, anyway, to get back on track... Um, that, 
go and to take things off track. Sure. I, I'm reminded, Joe. Do you remember on your show when you had like the five minutes with internet message board celebrity guys, and you had <laughs> sure. um, hated, yeah. It uh, was all close, close personal colleague um, Trevor Dame. AKA Hobbs, and he read a story about like the top ten nasty things that the nasty boys intend to do to get nasty. That's what I'm reminded of. I would like to. I'm going to revisit that and figure out just how nasty the nasty boys were going to get. Um, I was hoping you had it memorized. Uh, no, I blocked that one out. Any Hobbs? He was perturbed. You later stole his gimmick in um, reading something from the W. Oh, this is the SummerSlam show, and we're widely praised for it. Well, he. Ah, <laughs> uh, yep. You know, uh, cream, cream something of a strange anomaly here to bring back to the Quebecers. They actually did. I remembered this, and I had to look it up to make sure I didn't imagine it. But they did a clean job to the Bushwhackers on, I believe, All American Wrestling, if it was still called that at the time. About a month after they debuted, a time when the Bushwhackers really didn't beat anyone outside of Jobbers. Huh. The Bushwhackers, with their like, when they updated their music to make them more modern. Perhaps more ass biting for shock. Oh no! <laughs> That's escape. what was <laughs> the clench of those uh, teeth. But <laughs> That's what I thought was weird about or noteworthy about when the Quebecers came back is that their music actually called attention to like previous life of someone in the WWF, which was very unlike them at the time. Mm-hmm. Like when the Mountie came. It may have been one of those Carrie Von Eric things where they said it real quietly when he first showed up that this used to be Jacques Rougeau, but from then on, he was merely and uh, solely the Mountie. So when the Quebecers came, you'd expect them to be like, I can't believe these new uh, red-clad superstars from Quebec have debuted in the (laughs) WWF for the first time. It's not like um, the Repo Man had music that says, here doesn't come the smash. (laughs) <laughs> now, when Jean-Pierre Lafitte appeared on the scene, they they did not acknowledge him as a former Quebecer and tag champ. I don't think no. so. Well, he okay. looked so different, you could kind of get away with it. Um, the he did not dress the same, in fact. As a yeah, yeah. A pirate. Um, now, immediately they were pretty much pushed into the tag team title hunt. The Steiners were the champions, and um, they they I think it was their first. Defense. I'm not sure. I should probably know this because I'm such a fan of the period. But I think it was the first defense that uh, the Steiners made against the Quebecers was the Quebec Rules match. Maybe there was one before that. The Quebecers lost, and then they were forced to have the Quebec Rules match. Which, for those that don't know, Quebec Rules means no pile drivers, no off the top rope maneuvers, and uh, tag titles can change hands on disqualification. And so this match was the main event of an episode of uh, Monday Night Raw. And it was a match that uh, I love. I love it all my heart. It was so great. Um, the the Quebecers win the belt after their new manager, Johnny Polo, came down to the ring, which, for those who don't know, of course, is Raven, um, wearing a Montreal Canadiens jersey, uh, holding a hockey stick. He had a white beret thingy, and um, he was awesome. And um, he it, to, to, to give you an idea of, of what kind of... The, oh, oh! And I have a have another magazine article about this, and I just noticed that it is it is written by Vince Russo in name. But anyway, um, the uh, to give you an idea of what happened, it was uh, basically just the screw job of all screw job finishes. They had um, 
Scott, like his his temper went off or whatever, and he ended up breaking breaking the rules. <laughs> How he, could um, that have happened? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, he, he they tried to hit him with the hockey stick, so he got the hockey stick, and he was so mad, hit them with the hockey stick, and instead of just being a DQ and retaining titles, they lost the titles because it was Quebec rules. But anyway, this magazine has a a thing at the start before it kind of gets into the, the recap of the match. It has a little kind of. Um, uh, I don't know what the word is for this type of uh, writing style, but anyway, I'll just start reading it out. The fluorescent light that once lit the dim dressing room shattered into a million pieces, <laughs> creating a rainstorm of broken glass. Cool it, Scott! It's not worth it, Rick Steiner screamed to his younger <laughs> brother. Not worth it, Scott yelled as he bashed yet another light, courtesy of Johnny Polo's hockey stick. We just lost the expletive, expletive, expletive tag team titles. Fucking, fucking, fucking. <laughs> Tag team belts, actually, I should say. As they, used to, they used to call them as that. Straps. The straps, yeah. The day ended for the Steiner brothers much the same way that it began. Earlier, all seemed well. Sports <laughs> of wrestling fans lined New York City's ancient Manhattan Civic Center two hours prior to bell time to see Scott and Rick defend their World, Tag- their World Wrestling Federation tag team belts against the Quebecers. And then it goes into the the whole article. Um, Jack and Pierre were formidable new tag team. Even though many fans had labeled them Dudley Do Right wannabes, the Quebecers were a team that was surely going to make some noise. The good old boys from Michigan are a different story. Wrestling critics called them not only the best tag team in North America, but the best in the entire world. I can't believe Vince Russo was writing this. It's just. Um, if they did not beat you with raw physical strength then they beat you with unlimited arsenal of technical maneuvers a python like hiss slithered through the crowd as the the proud Canadians with their new uh, manager Johnny Polo at their flank marched into the building which is an inaccuracy Russo because Polo only came out during the match Um, so anyway uh, that article was featured in the uh, best sports writing of 1980 <laughs> I was going to say it's they won a they won a Rick Riley sports <laughs> article of the year <laughs> for great elegiac prose in the art of uh, covering sports yeah I'm not going to read the whole rest of the article but it's awesome and it really recaps the match well um, oh, oh, oh sorry sorry there is a great bit here that I just have to say um uh, when asked if he might be afraid to wrestle the Steiners under American rules, Jack said, Afraid? We are not afraid. We can beat any team. We're an international flavor. On the other on the other side of the dressing room, Razor Ramon and Mr. Perfect finally calmed down Scott, as any champion would. Rick come to Quebec <laughs> rules. They brought in the stick. They had, to, they had a plan from the get-go. Next time, if they bring a stick, we'll bring a club. And um, yeah, so that was that was that was pretty much it. Oh, it ends off um, Rick saying, uh, first we're gonna smash them at the Survivor Series, then we're gonna do whatever it takes to get our belts back." And before we move on to Survivor Series and the greatness that was that, um, any thoughts you guys had about all of the above? Uh, I just remember watching that match live at the time and feeling very uneasy because the idea of um, titles changing hands on a DQ were. Very foreign. I believe that was the first time it happened. It did happen. This match is not on the recently released Best of Raw Season 1 and 2, which is borderline outrageous, because it actually is a very good match. It is on the Raw Prime Cuts VHS tape, which I have viewed many a time. 
in this uh, the early precursor to that. But if you can find that match, it's, it's it's on like Daily Motion or something, I'm sure, in YouTube. So check it out that way. It actually is very good. David A. Meltzer gave it three and one half stars. There you go. Uh, um, I, go I, I, I had the same. Re- <laughs> I had the same reaction at the time as Joe. For me, this went down as one of the all-time just unfair things that happen in wrestling. Really, any time like a really strong baby face with big muscles lost to a <laughs> sneaky rascal under unfair circumstances, I was really mad. I didn't. I, it wasn't quite at the level of the kid who said when Cena lost to Wade Barrett and said, "This is not right." But I knew. I was just like, no, you know, this will never stand. This is uh, extremely unfair. And I'm sure as soon as the immediate rematch takes place, that this wrong will be righted. Justin, if Brother Love had been the ref, uh, oh my what, God. Which, what would your outrage have been? Um, like Warrior Sergeant Slaughter Royal Rumble <laughs> level. Oh, probably. yeah. Um, so, anyway, as referenced by Rick, Survivor Series was on the horizon. Oh, I'm, I'm sorry, Alan. I, the one other thing is I, the reason they did that title switch, which I think we'll find out as soon as the 93 Observer um, back issues gets there, is Scott was suspended for a month, so they had to take the belts off him. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Huh. Wow. Uh, I'm, always, I'm always happy to hear some uh, 1993 Steiner's pearls of knowledge that I'd never heard before. Um that's interesting. Um, so, uh, so Scott was, but Scott was of course back for Survivor Series to be part of the All American team. It was Scott, Rick, Lex Luger, of course, and um, I believe it was originally going to be Tonka, but he was put out by Ludwig Borga and replaced by the Undertaker to take on Yokozuna. Um, uh, uh, the, it was supposed to be both Quebecers and. Who, the fourth person was supposed to be. It wasn't supposed to be Crush. It was, Crush, it was supposed to be Borga. But mm-hmm. when um, when Tatanka was put out, the Americans responded by putting out. Um, was it Jack or Pierre? It was I think Pierre. it was Pierre. There was a, a Pierre match was where you could vote to see who would take on Pierre via one eight hundred number. Which a match that had already been filmed. <laughs> yes. <laughs> At least it wasn't a one nine hundred number. Yeah, um, and it was Lex Luger who took out Pierre. Yes, yeah, so with, Pierre his, was with his um, with his arm blade. Yep. So Jock was in he there on a concussion, and on they his knew own. concussions couldn't work. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. And um, he was replaced by Crush, a good friend of mine. And they, <laughs> they of course know because do you know why he wasn't then? Because he was one quarter of the Foreign Fanatics. That was the name of this team. They were fanatical. About being foreign is just I'm stealing your line, <laughs> and, and uh, yeah, this was this was a massive. This had some schoolyard buzz the next day in my school, um, and uh, it, I was very happy when I heard that the All Americans triumphed. I was like, "This is a great day for America." I am <laughs> proud. I am proud <laughs> to be. Oh no, wait, I'm Irish. What the fuck? I was gonna say when your allegiances lie with the foreign fanatics, given you were not an American. <laughs> Oh god damn bitch McMahon brainwashing my child mind. <laughs> wow, that's just uh very strong ideology. You st- stood up for WWE back then. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um so uh yeah, what 
I was going to ask you guys your memories of this, this whole Farm Fanatics, well, but I just want to say, um, first of all, one of my big memories was the in the WF magazines leading up to this. I'll actually check if there is a, a picture in this one, one of these ones I have down here. They had these um, awesome cartoon pictures of each team gathered around a, like a, a Thanksgiving platter and... Uh, it would. They were. They were. Gr- they were just great, great pictures. And um, I remember Tatanka was when he was still on the team was doing his like war dance around the turkey. And I Yokozuna had like a it's huge like at the war. first Thanksgiving. <laughs> <laughs> yep. But, uh, those pictures were amazing. So um, yeah, uh, your guys' memories. Uh, along the same lines, the cover of the VHS to that, which featured the Steiners and Lex Luger, preparing to slice up a Yokozuna turkey, which had a little <laughs> sumo thing on it. And um, also, when The Undertaker agreed to be on the All-American team, despite his deceased status, he opened his cloak, I guess, to reveal an American flag on his <laughs> Many questions about whether this was always underneath his cloak, if this was a special patriotic cloak he used on perhaps the 4th of July but um, yes many many <laughs> and questions then, then when he put the red white and blue thing in the washing machine all the red and blue ran together and that's how the undertaker got his purple outfit <laughs> Not a lot of, that'll be in one of the observer back issues coming soon too but um, yeah I had the same reaction Joe I was like fucking mind blown because if you recall this was the first time that The Undertaker had actually joined a Survivor Series team. And, like, I never thought, good or bad, that The Undertaker was, he was such a, like, a, an ethereal force of nature. I didn't think he could coexist on a, on a team of four or five striving to survive. Okay. And here he was. We, we've, got, we've, got, we've got one of the pictures in this magazine. In fact, we've got both of them. There's the full Survivor Series preview in this. Uh, it's pretty great. But um, the, the baby faces have Tatanka, as I mentioned, doing his war dance around the turkey, staring at, I mean, quite the stare at this turkey. The turkey is, as Joe mentioned, it's a Yokozuna turkey. It's wearing the, oh my god, it's wearing the, the like, Yokozuna, <laughs> the sumo nappy thing. It's also got fucking, like, ankle taping on, the, like, the turkey's little feet. Like, it's incredible. And it's got a Japanese flag sticking out at the top. And uh, Rick, <laughs> Rick, 1993, everyone. Rick and Scott are uh, are like crouched over each other, and Rick has this artwork is actually awesome. Like this, Rick, Rick has <laughs> Rick has a really like Rick look on his face. Luger is Luger has got his arms extended like kind of in a flexy type pose in the the front and center, and he just like oh my god they've. His his lats, which are flared out in this uh, cartoon, are literally are literally about like the size of the dinner plates that the turkey's on. Um, uh, on the heel picture, you have it's um, crushes in there. It's Boko Becker's Borga and Yokozuna, and the turkey is wearing uh, Lex Luger's tights, an American flag sticking out, and it's got a little red, white, and blue ankle taping, and. Um, uh, there's nothing really. Uh, Yokozuna has chopsticks over the turkey, so that's that's really the only kind of notable thing. Notable thing from that. Um, oh, oh, I like on the babyface one. It says World Wrestling Federation presents the Thanksgiving tradition all Americans wait for, 
And then on the heel one, it says, World Wrestling Federation presents Thanksgiving tradition foreign fanatics wait for. Oh, God. Uh, that's good. It's, uh, find and replay. Excellent. Where you need to get these pictures. Uh, yeah, they're, they're, all get, um, they're all getting embedded on the appropriate material. Also in that card. That's, I'm looking at the... Um, Go ahead. Go ahead, Justin. No, you're about to oh, break the news that the oh. Smoky Mountain Wrestling tag title was... Def- that's big. Yeah, also on the line, those <laughs> transfers heavenly bodies. Jiggle Jimmy and um, Dr. Tom uh, did a team of joints against Bam Bam <laughs> and um, uh, Bastion Booger. Um, this is a match I really liked. Razor Ramon, Mr. Perfect, Marty Chinetti, and One to Tree Kid against IRS, Diesel, Adam Bomb, and Rick Martel. But anyway, enough about that. Uh, we should move on to uh, Marty Confetti. Yep. Uh, Justin, what were you going to say? Oh, I, I don't think there's anything I can add about this picture now, but it, it's just great. Luger, as you said, is using the carving responsibilities as an excuse to show off his muscles. <laughs> and um, Steiner Brothers are in an altered version of the... Um, pose they would do where Scott would stand over him and Rick would bark, only they're doing it you, to eat did you find? Did you find a picture <laughs> of this online? Yeah, yes, I just... It's on the, it's oh, the mm-hmm. awesome, awesome, you can post them <laughs> save me having to scan, the, scan that in from the magazine, but um, yeah, so uh, of, of course the All-Americans won and um, then the Quebecers who were still champs um, uh, they went on. This was the next really big thing they did was the match with Brett and Owen at Royal Rumble. And um, thoughts on that, Joe? Well, you're actually skipping. Um, I'm sure I am. For that, it was a match between um, Manager Johnny Polo and Marty Janetti on the. Uh, actually, it aired. Oh, that's the Marty Confetti thing you're referring yes, to. Yes, December 27th, where um, he called him Marty Confetti repeatedly after the match. And for, in the next two weeks, uh, Marty and the One Two Three Kid challenged the Quebecers for the tag titles and actually won them. But then on the next week, and this is curious, on a taped Raw on January 17th, there was another show at Madison Square Garden, the one where the, they actually held a Royal Rumble that Owen Hart won, where um, the Quebecers won the belts back after a week. And Stan Lane I phoned in during Raw, quote-unquote, to um, break this news. So confusing as a kid, it's apparently two wrestling shows going on where you would think everything <laughs> at the hot Monday Night Raw show. But yes. And if uh, an interesting bit, speaking of Owen and Brett, uh, during that week, they did an interview where Owen hoped that the Quebecers would win the belts back, but Brett said, no, I hope the 1-2-3 kid and um, Mario Gennetti keep them, even though it will cost us our title shot, because they are <laughs> a little bit of, little bit of character. Hmm. Right, because that was after they had the um, mix-up at the Survivor Series, and then didn't yes. they like reunite over Christmas? Yep. Yes, I think. Because if there's the, the holidays. if there's one thing that the Hart siblings don't do, it's not get along. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I um, I bet like for the week that it looked like Brett and Owen Hart versus Marty Jannetty and the One Two Three Kid might happen at the Royal Rumble. I'm sure like Prodigy exploded on the internet, <laughs> and the young Michael Jenkinson was very excited. He's the poster Canada with a Y. I'm not saying I'm not saying anything. Uh-huh. <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> um, so I'll kick his leg out from under his leg. <laughs> there we go. All right, soldiering on. 
Yeah. That brings us to the Rumble. Yeah. Hart Brothers against the actually an all Canadian uh, tag title match, which kicked off the Owen heel turn, the infamous kick your leg from under your leg speech, and actually a very good match, somewhat somewhat forgotten and um, all that. But yes, Pro- probably overshadowed by the Hart's Steiners match, which wasn't on pay per view. No, but around that same time, and everyone thought it was yeah. the best tag match of the year. But yes, um, excellent match. We, but I mean, we may have brought this up in email, or I just heard it somewhere. Like Owen had every right to be mad. I don't know why Bret Hart, with one leg, did not tag out. Mm. You know, just yeah, do it. Sympathy for Owen there. He wasn't completely in the wrong. Um. So anyway, Ella, yeah. where did you go? <laughs> Um, I'm, I'm trying. I'm trying to motor this on, Joe, because I, I know you. Right. But you got to be out of here in, a, in about 15 minutes. So um, we have some pirates in WCW. Yeah, but um, we is there anything really that the Quebecers did between the Rumble and Mania against Men in the Mission? No, it was um, a lot of uh, tags against Marty and Razor. Marty got fired after European tour, switched to the Kid and Razor. Uh, actually, those Jim Powers, I want to see those matches. If you, yeah, it was um, Jim Powers substituted for uh, Marty Jannetty. Oh, I really want to see those matches. <laughs> yeah, eventually, brought us to WrestleMania 10. Yeah, so the, the feud with with Moe's mustache, apparently. Um, uh, yeah, this was this was the the, the count out match at, at WrestleMania. Um, Jock didn't get his clean win that he was promised. And, <laughs> he, uh, it was. No, I don't really remember this match being anything that great. I just remember kind of being surprised that a WrestleMania title match had a count-out finish, even as a kid. And, um, yeah, kind of kind of nothing really... I, I, I don't know, I think maybe the as as great as the Head Shrinkers title win as we get to was on Raw, I don't know, maybe it would have been better if they built... I don't know, if they built that up a bit earlier and had them win it at Mania with Lou Albano and Madison Square Garden and all that kind of tie-in, I think that mm-hmm. would be pretty good. Mm, yeah, I thought Men on a Mission were... It was kind of a lame tag match. And actually, the tag titles... WrestleMania 8 was a count-out, and I think WrestleMania 9 was a disqualification, so there was a bad streak of um, unclean finishes for tag title matches at WrestleMania. But the quarterback was held That was cool. And the Steiners released under contract at that point, but didn't work WrestleMania. I think it was already known that they were on their way out because they could make more in Japan. I think Scott's last match was a King of the Ring qualifier, so it was a bit down the road, so I don't know mm-hmm. why they weren't uh, working, but yeah. Yeah, that would have been better, but oh well. Um, the... the whoa, We're getting some crazy static here, but we'll, we'll, we'll soldier on. Um, the... The WrestleMania match wasn't much, but as I mentioned, they went into the Hedgefrinkers feud. Johnny Polo was uh, was confronted by Lou Albano, and Lou Albano said that uh, he wants he wants to put together a tag team, and do they accept a challenge from the tag team he's going to put together? And they were like, sure. And he was like, well, do you accept a mild uh, connection problem? And um, we were about to go into the Hedgefrinkers feud, and yes, although I I need I know we we have a time limit, but the, there was also a minor connection problem for the Quebecers title reign because didn't they lose the belt for a week? Two days actually. Um, I believe an accidental title change where they lost two men on a mission <laughs> because Mabel was too fat and knocked out uh, 
Pierre. <laughs> I think when he questioned him. Never knew about that. Yeah, I believe it was actually acknowledged on television, if memory serves, which oh. I was odd. But they switched them back two days later, so actually three time tag champs for the Quebecers, all within a span of about seven months. That's not. I, yeah, I, but I had no idea. Between the one week uh, title reign and the two day title reign, uh, I remember at age uh, 10, just being like, no, age 12, saying. These title changes are being prostituted, you know? Too many <laughs> title changes. Yeah, and um, the the deal with the head shrinkers was they had been heels, but they were, with the likes of me, they were quite popular, and they decided to uh, turn them babyface on the back of this, and what better way to turn a tag team babyface than to pair them with a second manager, and that being Lou Albano. So Lou Albano, the former manager of Alpha, was now managing the team that Alpha was managing, so co-managers. And, um, uh, yeah, it was, uh, this was before Shitty Sione started, and it was still at Fatu and Samu, and... Did they, they start wearing boots yet? No, 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 don't, don't, don't even talk about those dark days. Um, the, so yeah, they, they started as baby faces, and, um, I don't know even if they had many matches as baby faces, or if they went straight into this tie title change, but, uh, this was awesome. I remember seeing it on WF Mania one Saturday morning, and I was like, holy shit, this is amazing. The head shrinkers are good guys now, and they won the belts, and the Quebecers are fighting with each other. This is so crazy. And, um, yeah, it was it was awesome. Uh, this, this match and the Steiners title change um, were the two sort of Quebecers matches that kind of stand out to me above all the others. I always thought it was strange. I never really bought the head shrinkers as good guys, so to speak, because I thought you they were bastard heels. And um, yeah, they won the belts and uh, held them for a while, and that was largely the end of the Quebecers after oh, about a year. And what a year it was! Such a year. Yeah, yeah, so, some year that year. Um. <laughs> I believe they broke up in a rematch they had because I believe they had a match where the champion would go on to face. Um, Biggest tag team of all time of Yokozuna and Crush at the oh 1994. Wait, the, the Quebecers broke up? But I thought the Quebecers broke Maybe it wasn't a breakup, but they certainly fought with each other in the title change. They probably did fought, but then I think they officially broke up. Okay. All right. Um, and yeah, the winners went on and faced the Yokozuna Crush team, which I think we talked about once before on this show. Yeah, it's the scariest team imaginable. Scariest team imaginable, my God. Probably on our King of the Ring show. Oh, it probably was, indeed. But a show so influential that it brought back the King of the Ring tournament. That's true. This November, everybody. But um, the I remember Art Donovan being very interested in how much the uh, challengers weighed. <laughs> oh, Art. Art, Art, Art. Um, the, the Quebecers' run came to an end here, but that was not the last we saw of them. No, no. Because in WF, uh, we had... Pierre come back as evil pirate, uh, Jean-Pierre Lafitte. Um, just we'll briefly touch on this whole thing. He uh, had awesome matches with Bret Hart. They were they were really great. He stole his leather jacket. Bret was pissed, and um, then Bret got the better of him. And it was just something for Bret to do. It was really good. And um, J JPL didn't do <laughs> too much else after that. Uh, what did you guys think of him? Um, liked him. Thought he had good matches. It was during the 
Bret Hart is fighting goofballs in the mid-card <laughs> era of him versus Hakushi. But it was awesome goofballs. And you it was, but it. you thought, like, maybe he should be doing better things than this. Yeah, as, true. As, it, as we were subjected to uh, Diesel title defenses. But Yeah, I liked him. He had a very... He was only around for about six months. Didn't he refuse to... He pulled up Bret Hart and refused to lose in Canada to um, Diesel, who at the time was the WWF champion. <laughs> it was a poor career move, I believe. Yeah, it was... Um, I forget what his whole case on that thing was, but yeah, I've seen his shoot, his sort of shoot interview talk about it to build up the the match they had in um, in I think it was an IWS about a year or two ago, which was uh, so so brilliant as Kevin Nash comes out and um, like the whole build up was that uh, PCO was going to shoot on him, and Kevin Nash came out and goes, "Yo, I'm not I'm not a shooter." Let's just let's just work, brother. I'm not, a <laughs> and yeah, you know, it's it's just absolutely fantastic. And um, they, I'm uh, sure during like the all the agents backstage were like, "Do you think if Jacques wrestled Hulk Hogan in Montreal that Jacques would win? Obviously not." So, yep, because he did. Uh, I know. Okay, good. Did, good. It was good, uh, good reference. It was a it was a fine fine reference that I very much appreciated. Just. <laughs> And, um, the well, um, with Jean-Pierre Lafitte, you understand then why Vince was so confused um, ten years later when they tried to present Paul Burchill as this not evil at all pirate. Jolly not pirate. A, not a pirate. Yeah, with super porky and the likes. Oh, goddamn. Yeah, he just didn't did not understand. But no. you, you uh, think about Jean-Pierre Lafitte is that he didn't just steal Brett's jacket, he stole all the prized possessions of many new generation baby faces. I don't remember which ones exactly. I'm sure he stole, like, Henry Godwin's slop and Marty Jannetty's GHB. (laughs) 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 Oh, okay. That nature. Uh, I think that would leave him very ostracized in the locker room, but... Oh, yeah. That you, it's what you, you, the two things you don't do are you don't steal people's gimmicks and you don't tape record <laughs> their conversations like Sean Stasiak did. A bastard meat. Um, the the John Pierre Lafitte character had a short run, unfortunately, because I I really did I really did like the, that character. I thought he was good, but um, when he, he was left, supposed to be he was supposed to be on Team Body Donna's. Oh um, yeah. Which I don't understand. That was an awesome match, that, that Survivor Series match. That was really, really good. Sure was. Yeah. Um, the, but uh, he left and he rep- reprised his team with Jacques, who, again, I guess, had gone into the, the, um, the French uh, Canadian scene and um, was probably drawing heads of 60,000, 70,000 people. And um, uh, the, they, they reprised their team in WCW, but this time they were the amazing, or as Eric Bischoff said in commentary, they're not the Canadians. They're not the French Canadians. <laughs> they're the amazing French Canadians. And, um, they were pretty amazing. They, they had a, they had a few decent squash matches. I remember they wrestled high voltage a lot on, um, uh, yeah, they were a team. Um, but, uh, what do, what do you guys think of the amazing French Canadians? Uh, I thought they um, they lost a bit. I did like uh, Colonel Robert Parker dressed as a French legionnaire <laughs> for some reason. Even though they were Canadian, I didn't really get that. But it was funny. <laughs> they feuded with Harlem Heat a lot, which I, I don't remember anything terribly interesting or fascinating they did. I'm sure someone will be like, no, they were the best tag team of the 90s. 
They had a, they've yeah. also feuded with Public Enemy in terms of two teams with drastically different styles, except for the fact that they both greatly enjoyed doing moves where they held their tag team partner's hands while he stood on the top rope. They so need a triple threat match with Yashi and Kondo. That'd <laughs> uh, just be amazing. I, 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 if if the Allen Federation ever comes to life, that match will be brought to life. Oh no, wait, it won't. Um, so anyway, um, oh god, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm awful. I didn't even mean to do that. I realized as I was saying, no, actually, as I was saying it, I go, wait, are any of these guys dead? And I was checking check, them all. Check, check, check. check. I was checking them off my mind. It's like, Yashi and Kondo are still alive. Yeah, both Quebecers are... Oh, wait. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I feel bad now. But um, Just anyway. prior to uh, to UFC 120-whatever last week, uh, myself and a colleague defeated um, M&M to win the WWE Tag Team titles on SmackDown vs. Raw 2007. And uh, we were playing as the team of the Heavenly Bodies, Lance Cade and Chris Benoit. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yes. Oh. Obviously, Chris Benoit is in heaven. I think. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God! Oh, dear Lord. Um. Okay. Uh. So, <laughs> oh, Jesus. Um. Then. After the amazing French Canadians had their time and to shine in WCW, they probably went off into the wilderness again. They had this big, huge match in Quebec with the two of them against each other. Well, that was actually in 1994 after they split up in WF, but we won't talk about that here because that will be talked about in our next segment. But um, what I do want to talk about is the whole uh, PCO, the that character, and... Um, his training, which produced Steen and Generico, which I guess in a weird way is like the next generation Quebecers. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and um, they and Package Piledriver passed down from, from I guess it was passed from Jacques to Pierre to Steen, which is kind of cool. And um, Generico was also trained by them, and it was, it was it's pretty cool that that linkage is there, I think. And um, PCO uh, was pretty big in the the sort of <laughs> Canadian in- Indies. He got completely jacked out of his mind. That's what he, I was thinking you were going with. That. Yeah, yeah. He was <laughs> like he wasn't fat at all anymore. He's just big, massive, jacked up guy. And he was X in TNA with a mask, and he was the big monster of the X division. I thought he was cool. He did flips and stuff, even though he was gigantic. And um, I, I, yeah, PCO, an underrated guy that really. I would have thought he could have done something somewhere. We never really seemed to to get to get a real chance. Uh, he wrestled. He, I know he wrestled here in Ireland a lot. Like he did a lot of those European tours. That guys made a good bit of coin on. But um, uh, yeah, he was over here a fair bit. But um, yeah, PCO, under, underrated guy, and I, he could have done well in Japan. I think we never really never really ends up over there. We should yeah. also mention the uh, Quebecers. Uh Abbreviated return in 1998 to the oh God, yep. WWF, where they feuded with the Godwins and Headbangers quite a bit, and were uh, quickly gone as their era was. They were yeah. in the Battle Royal. At all all I remembered was that I didn't actually know there was anything other than that one. I just thought it was the one match against um, against uh, the Funks, and um, I, I'm not sure if it was off air. <laughs> was, was I talking about how uh, um, I didn't? I, yeah, it was all fair. I didn't realize it was Scorpio in that match because I was watching on 
uh, Scramble Vision. It was just I was just listening to Raw while like playing Championship Manager ninety seven, ninety eight, and um, the Terry Funk was on the mic and he was just screaming, "Here's my partner! Here's the Funk! Here he comes! The Funk! The Funk is here!" And he never like said Too Cold Scorpio or Flash Funk, and I was like, "Who's the Funk? What is he talking about?" And um, yeah. <laughs> And J.R. was just like, yeah, this guy's a real blue chipper. And uh, I think in, when I watched it back there now the other day, I saw J.R. go, um, I think he's fixing to like, get a little too cold on us. And I didn't, I didn't notice that at the time, or maybe I did, and I just um, didn't register with me. But uh, uh, yeah, so it was Scorpio and Terry Funk against the, the Quebecers. And it was... I, uh, on contrary to Joe Gagne, I thought this was a decent little match. Um, the Quebecers got uh, got squashed pretty much, um, but it was it was a good squash. Uh, that was actually the night the um, ratings battle turned. The uh, where WCW finally lost to the WWF after a year and a half, and I didn't think much of the match. I just thought it was funny that match would be, make people think, "Oh boy, <laughs> let's watch this." Forget you, Hulk Hogan. <laughs> we Hulk want the got- funk. We gotta the have the funk. <laughs> That's funk or something else. Um, but uh, then, um, yeah, that was. I, I guess they had that. They had a match in Montreal in the WWE house show, like in was it 2003 or something. Uh, I, I think. Uh, yeah, I, I can't remember. It's talked about in our next segment against who it was actually against, but uh, I, um, I, I, I have forgotten. But uh, yeah, so that was pretty much the whole Quebecer story. Is there is there anything else you guys want to add or talk about? I think we covered was it, everything uh, quite a bit. Was it Pierre who told the story where he did a dark match a, a couple years ago and he asked whether he should wait and thank Vince after the show and they said, yeah, wait. And so he, yeah. um, he did. And then, so Vince comes out of his office and he's like, oh, hey, Vince, I just want to say. And Vince shoves him into the wall and walks <laughs> past him. <laughs> yeah, I remembered that accurately. Yeah, absolutely, one hundred percent accurately. I, Vince is incredible. <laughs> <laughs> yes, he is. Oh, I would pay so much money to see the look on Pierre's face. When that. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, the look on Vince's face, I'm sure, it was equally great. <laughs> I'm sure it was a scowl of some sort. <laughs> but, uh, but guys, thank you very much. This has been great, and. Um, uh, Joe, even though you're you're on your way out somewhere, you're going to be back right after this. That's right. <laughs> yeah, um, with a special, special segment. And um, Justin, you won't be. You're, you have to go to the post office. And, uh, <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs> yeah. um, all right, are we going to do a La Resistance show later to pick up the spiritual successors? On that note, everyone, thank you for listening. <laughs> Justin, uh, thanks for joining us and uh, Joe, we'll hear from you after the break We are not No, plug Amos Fruit Cartoon Oh my gosh, yes, thank you Everyone, go on to the Major Psychological Issues section of the board or go on to Facebook and become a fan of um, Oh god, I'm forgetting the full exact title here The Adventures of Todd the Talking Orange it is the funniest thing ever. I have been really busy the last two days, and I haven't read the last two days' adventures, and I'm so looking forward to doing so. It is, it's just become a highlight of my life. Todd and all his wacky pals, Nigel and uh, and uh, what's that other fellow's name? Um, 
Uh, it's the, that banana you ate. <laughs> Miles. <the hipster laughs> Miles. Banana. Miles the hipster banana. Everyone check it. Become a fan on Facebook of Adventure uh, Todd Talk More. It's incredible. And um, yeah, I'm Alan. That's Justin. That's Joe. And we are not the Mounties. And we thank you for listening. Bye. And we are back here with a special segment on our Quebecers show here at Dr. Keith Presents. We have been joined by a Quebecer himself. And I don't know, is that actually, like, is that a derogatory term? Is that like calling a Japanese person a Jap? I'm not sure. But, um... No, Quebecer is okay. Uh, Frenchy is not okay. <laughs> so Frank uh, Martin was a horribly racist character then, was he? Yeah, and I've been called a French fag by a uh, kid zombie. That's really not okay. <laughs> Oh, well, he's a lovely man. But um, anyway, anyway, uh, we are joined here by Helmy from the board. And Helmy, um, of course, as you can tell by his accent and by me calling him a Quebecer, he is from Quebec. So he knows Jacques and Pierre probably as well as anyone. I assume since Quebec and Montreal is such a small place that he may live in the same road as them. And um, Or I could just be horrible at geography. Well, I, I'm, I'm with Jacques uh, right now, actually. Oh, are you? Are you? Uh, He's in my bed right now, yeah. Saturday Saturday morning, bed and breakfast with you and Jock. I I like it. So, Helmy, um, tell us a little about um, what the the Quebecers meant to uh, the the French fans, and maybe um, even before the Quebecers started, what, like, say, Jock as the Mountie kind of meant to the, the French Canadian fans. Well, well. First of all, I got to, uh, to to applaud you for your your great timing because Jacques Rougeau just announced his uh, third uh, retirement. Oh wow! He's retiring. Yeah, he's retiring again. So he's uh, he's tying uh, Brett Favre's record now. Uh, he, and the story made the rounds uh, all around the papers here today. So so Jacques is 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 really a big deal for a guy who, who didn't wrestle in in any capacity for the last ten years. You know, and um, that's crazy. And Jacques, uh, made the papers. Pardon me? That's crazy. It made the papers. It made the papers. It made the sports section. And, they, and, 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 and there was a big story on uh, on Jacques and, and La Presse, which is uh, basically the most read uh, paper in the province. And um, he told the entire story uh, from the beginning with uh, the, with Vincent Mann and to the, uh, to the bitter end. And uh, one, uh, what I like about Jacques is uh, he's a great interview. And, uh, and basically explained his, his falling out with Vince. He said that, you know, when uh, you uh, ask a monkey to dance for you and you promise him two peanuts, well, uh, if at the end you just give him, if you just give him one peanut, well, that's not fair to the monkey. And he said, well, in this case, I'm the monkey and I want my two peanuts. So he, that's how we explain all the whole thing went down with Vince. But uh, yeah, I mean, <laughs> you look at the, you could look at the Rujos in the in the late eighties. The Rougeaux in the 80s were, uh, were really big stars in Montreal. And, uh, and the thing is, when Vince uh, bought them, and when he took them to, uh, to WWF, he, they were treated like, well, like almost nobodies. You know, even in the, uh, when they, t- they turned heel, they, they, they didn't win much. Uh, and they, they, there were so much big stars in WWF at the time, so, so they were popular, but not that big of a deal. The Hulk Hogan was a big, a big deal here. But in 93, when the Quebecers came around and... And they won the titles. I mean, they, they were the only big, big stars for us in Quebec. I mean, we won't, we won't cheer Lex Luger, you know. So neither would I. Yeah, <laughs> I know you're more like a Crush fan. I know so. <laughs> and uh, 
So, so yeah, so so they were a big deal in in Quebec. I mean, when they won the tag titles, I mean, they were sometimes on sports shows and all that, and uh, sometimes their matches were covered in the newspaper, and, and you don't get that uh, here, and you won't see Randy Orton on uh, on the cover of any newspaper in Quebec. That's for sure. You know. Now, help me, uh, Joe Gagne here. I don't know if I was introduced, but um, hey, probably not because I'm a shit host. Probably. Well, that's that's okay. Um, I want to ask, in uh, regards to other Canadian wrestlers, do they have similar reactions, or because these two were specifically from uh, Quebec and call themselves the Quebecers, they got this uh, more adoration than their Canadian brethren? Well, you you have always have to look at the period, you know. So, you, like in the late eighties, Dino Bravo, uh, you know, uh, even us knew that Devo sucked, you know. So, uh, I mean. Uh, he wasn't really. I mean, he was. Some, he was popular, but no, that not that much. But uh, as the time goes on, and there's less and less Quebecers. You know, uh, just look at when the La Resistance beat uh, Chris Benoit and Edge on Montreal. They had a huge pop, and you know, they're nobody. You know, Rob Canoué is not from Quebec, and uh, Sylvain Grenier. We, well, we we pretend that it's not from Quebec. So you know, that's uh, that's really the, the deal here. So uh, I mean. Uh, I think that if uh, if somebody from Quebec uh, would would make it big, you know, he would be uh, really popular because he'd be alone, you know. But you look at the the time when uh, they had their big blow off match, you know, Pierre versus Jacques uh, in '94 in Montreal, they drew 17,000 feet. Wow. In the forum. I mean, they drew big, they drew bigger than the Montreal Screwjob. Uh, I mean, uh, it was I was there at the time. I was uh, I was uh, 13, and I mean, uh, it was it was like Ali versus Frazier, you know. Was it an awesome it was match? Versus Jacques, <laughs> and it was a huge match. And uh, you have to, uh, to, uh, to to remember that basically the Quebecers broke up uh, on TV in June, and I they wrestled like in November. And between June and November, they were they were not on TV at all. So basically, the build up was just from within Montreal, and uh, they were like not even WF wrestlers anymore. And they drew seventeen thousand, and it was. Uh, it was just uh, <laughs> it was a hell of a day, you know. So that's that that's crazy. Like it's it's especially this day and age, like seventeen thousand yeah, on an indie show is just like unfathomable. It, it, you couldn't even call it an indie show. And um, the like WWE, WWE, like their house shows these days, like they they only do a couple of thousand at best. And I, that's that's really just says something about just their popularity in in, in that place of the world. And um, uh. You mentioned you you were there for that, but uh, uh, you I think you also wanted to talk about a very special, very special video, a very special rap oh, yeah. video that the Quebecers were involved in. Fill us in on this, Helmy, because this is one of the greatest things I've ever seen. Yeah, well, it was like uh, I've never seen the, the video was made like in the mid nineties. I think it was uh, I think it was uh, just before. They run in WCW, so many like something like '96. I don't know. And uh, I, I, the the video never aired <laughs> on uh, any channels here, and it was just uh, it came up in uh, in a comedy show, and uh, I think it was in 2002, something. And when I saw that, I was I was amazed. And when we uh, when I knew that I was making the show today, I, I I took a chance and I went to YouTube and I found it and I said I got to share this with the world. People need to see this. So basically. Uh, Jacques Rougeau is, 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 is uh, really, is um, basically a, a spokesperson for a, a suicide hotline here in, uh, in Montreal. And basically, uh, he wanted to make an inspirational rap video for the, the, the troubled youth. Uh, and I don't know if it really worked. And uh, especially since uh, 
I think they, they wanted to do a rap song to talk about, you know, uh, don't hang up uh, if uh, life uh, if life is uh, hard for you, you know, uh, stay 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 focused and uh, you know everything will be okay. And for the first half, they just like break kayfabe on everything, and and Jacques Jacques never breaks kayfabe. To this day, I mean, he doesn't break kayfabe. He uh, he wrestled uh, King Kong Bundy uh, at the half time of the of a CFL game and got injured. <laughs> and when he spoke to when he spoke to journalists, he said, "Well, you know, King Kong Bundy is a tough guy, you know." And it was like in two thousand two thousand six, you know. For that King Kong. I, I've always heard the C. I've always heard the CFL is awesome, and that just solidifies it. Halftime show of King Kong Bundy versus Jacques show. Yeah, at the, between uh, yeah, at the half time of the Montreal Alouettes game, you get to see. And I think there was uh, like midgets too. Yeah? So, <laughs> and so they, they they just bring a, they set up a ring on the field. Yeah, there was a yeah, it was a ring uh, like uh, like a showdown at Chief Stadium. Awesome. With Rougeau and King Kong Bandia. What time of year was this? Thing. This wasn't like January, was it? Uh, <laughs> no, it was uh, no, it was it was it was in the summer. Ah, that's yeah, too bad. yeah, that's too bad. So uh, yeah, so basically, the, so he, so the first half of the video, he talks about how uh, you know. Uh, uh, they, uh, when they lost, they were supposed to 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 lose. I mean, it's a promoter who made him who made him uh, lose, and uh, you know uh, they're not bad guys. You know, when they when they talk bad to the fans, actually they love them. They have to do it. So it was it was really weird for a video about about you know suicide. You know? And the other half, basically, they they talk about uh, how the uh, how you have to how you have to 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 to, to live your life and uh, and the and the chorus uh, because it's in French. Uh, it, they keep saying over and over, open your second parachute. Over and over and over again. That's like their thing, you know. So uh, if people are listening right now and they're thinking about suicide, well, I have to say, open your second parachute, man. That's the thing. <laughs> that, that's, I'm, I'm going to find the, the local uh, suicide hotline here in Dublin, and um, I'm going I'm to tell them to start espousing that knowledge onto their, their callers. Um, so, uh, the, and I also want to mention that that rap video, some amazing choreography and dancing with uh, the, the Quebecers and the ladies in that video. It was very impressive stuff. I think BB Hulk could, could, could even take tips from, from them. Well, yeah, and I, I really like like the the saxophone in uh, in rap in uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's that's really good. That's a uh, that was a uh, cutting edge because uh, you know uh, they're ahead of, of their time because uh, ten years later and uh, we still don't have saxophone in rap music. And uh, there was also uh, an appearance by uh, Mac Blondin, who's a famous. Uh, Mac Blondin is like the, the, the is like I don't know the the Gordon Soli of wrestling in Quebec, except that he's completely stupid and doesn't follow the storylines or anything. He's the guy. He's the only guy who, uh, you know, he called matches for WWF here and for WCW. Is now uh, the the uh, he's a play-by-play guy for TNE now in Quebec with uh, Sylvain Grenier as analyst. And uh, the uh, and much like TNA, uh, Marc Blondin usually, usually talks about WWE on the air while he calls match for TNA. So it's uh, so Marc Blondin is a very famous guy. He was the he was the, the play-by-play guy in the in the video. Is a He's a legend in Quebec. If there was a Hall of Fame of Wrestling in Quebec, uh, there would be a, a wing at his name, you know. Helmy, or sorry, Joe, you got any other questions you want to ask Helmy? No, I think uh, I'm good. Okay, well, I got I got one more. I want I want to l- let you speak on that is the uh, the Jacques Rougeau um, comments um, after the night after 
uh, WrestleMania, or it wasn't the night after, but where he uh, was bitching on TV about how they were promised a clean win. Yeah, and that's another case where he broke kayfabe, you know. He, uh, it was it was uh, not really after WrestleMania. It was uh, I think it was pretty much uh, near the end of his run with uh, the WF. And he was uh, he was mad at Vince, and uh, he said on, on the air, you know, uh, we were supposed to have a clean win against Men on a Mission. You know, we were promised a clean win. Did he say that? Did he say that in French or English? In the French. Oh, did he? Okay, so <laughs> Vince French, might not have even known. Yeah. yeah, so in French he said. Uh, on the première victoire propre contre Men on a Mission, you know, and um, <laughs> and it's you know of all the promises that uh, you know you can break in life, I don't know how you can break this one. I mean, uh, promising a win against Men on a Mission seems like an easy promise to hold, you know. Yeah. So uh, yeah. I can understand Jack uh, getting pissed at that, but uh, that's the, that's the thing where. <laughs> it, Every time there was something about wrestling, they, they call Jacques Rougeau and uh, he does a lot of appearances, in, uh, like fake wrestling matches with uh, comedians and all that. He's like, a, he's like our big root of wrestling, you know. And where so, would uh, where would Pierre fall in that category? Like, I know he's he's still he was doing like all the IWS shows and all that kind of stuff, and he was working with like Scene and Generico. Did did he ever kind of gain any kind of great popularity, or was it more just he was kind of Jock's partner. Uh, well, I was at the show where uh, uh, Kevin Nash beat. Oh him. no! Really? Oh my God! Sorry, yeah, was <laughs> that was and, awesome. Uh, I don't know. There was not much sympathy for uh, for uh, Jean Pierre Lafitte. I don't know. Um, well, he's a dirty pirate. <laughs> dirty pirate. Now, I mean, we don't like dirty pirates in Quebec. That's for sure. No, I mean uh, now he's known as uh, PCO, and he has yep. his uh, PCO natics. Uh, he has also his catchphrase, top of the world. And uh, I don't know, I mean, uh, Pierre, uh, Pierre really never caught on. I, I guess, uh, you know, Jacques uh, had, uh, I mean, Jacques, uh, his, his, his brothers and uh, his father were legends here. And Pierre just came out of nowhere from Puerto Rico. He's like, so uh, I don't know, I mean, he doesn't have much of a following. Uh, he was he was also an analyst on TNA, but, but nobody watches TNA here. I mean, absolutely nobody, you know. So um, I guess he kind of disappeared from the face of the earth, and uh, I think uh, also when he uh, when he wrestled in WCW against uh, the Giants at the Molson Center, I mean uh, people were basically cheering for the Giants, you know. Hmm. And uh, well, when Jock faced <laughs> when Jock, well, they wrestled in a in an eye patch match. Both were uh, wearing eye patches. Nice. Uh, and uh, even the playing Jock uh, wrestled Hogan, and people cheered for Hogan. So. It was a kind of a weird deal right there, but no, Pierre. I mean, uh, Pierre kind of disappeared from the from the face of the earth. I mean, he's doing his thing with the indie scene, but uh, people don't really remember remember him fondly, you know, or anything like that. What you mentioned his P? Was it his PCO Natics? What's that? Is, yeah, that's like his peeps, you know. Oh, so like his PCO Natics. That's yeah. his crew. That's his homies. And that's that's <laughs> his. I, I am I am I am a PC onatic. I will I will proudly say that. And if he puts out a teacher for that, I will buy one. Well, uh, I think you're you could be the the HF of the uh, PC uh, club in Ireland. I guess I'm actually not. One of my best friend is like um, 
an even bigger PCL addict than I am, and it's like he it's it's a very random love for for this man that he has, but he he does. Um, uh, so anyway, Helmy, thanks a million for coming on. It was absolutely great to have Helmy's corner on the show and uh, to give us a different perspective on um on the Quebecers and Jock uh, especially. Well, yeah, I was happy to take you guys under the learning tree of uh, yeah. Quebec wrestling. For sure, and um, yeah, that it was really great for you to come on, Helmy. Thanks, thanks a million, buddy. Merci beaucoup, les gars. Très bon show, continuez. Thank you. Merci.